You're listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. What's up, church? Can you just give God some praise tonight, man? I'm going to be honest. We didn't expect all y'all, but welcome. We're glad you're here. Oh, man, it is so good to be worshiping, and we have one just objective tonight, to have fun worshiping the fact that we have life because God sent Jesus to this planet. Amen, church? Uh, if you're visiting with us tonight, you ain't used to talking back to the preacher, get, get used to it tonight. And I'm trying to figure out how long I've got before every kid in the room loses their mind. Um, we don't typically have kids in, in our services on Sunday morning, but a couple times a year, we just want to do this as a family. So just, just know that, and, and if kids get kind of rowdy, that's okay. All right, say amen. That's going to be okay, because tonight, as, as a family, as one church, we're just going to be reminded that God loved us so much that he stepped out of the comfort and confines of heaven and became a human being. And you understand that that distinguishes our faith from every other faith on the planet. That when you pray to God, when you go to God with a need, as you experience life, you pray to a God that has experienced life. That knows what it's like to be human. That knows what it's like to go through this world, to get dirty, to be rejected, to, to be a teenager. To go through all these different things. And man... That's, that's awesome. That's where you say amen, right there. Amen. That, that's cool about our faith. And, and throughout this series, we've been trying to awaken the wonder. Because, and I've said over the last several weeks, I feel like you're on two different signs, uh, sides of this whole camp uh, Christmas thing. You're either like the Christmas crackhead or you're the, the Grinch. Like you're the person that Christmas just makes you go crazy. I mean, from the very beginning, you love it. Like, your, your radio has been preset to that Christmas music from the very beginning. You're watching all the movies. You're doing all that kind of thing. You're, you're just all into it. But then you got people on the whole other side of that scenario that just don't like it. And what I really believe is our perspective on Christmas is shaped by most often what's happening. Like, if, if you're in a good place in your life right now, if what's happening in your life is good, then Christmas just kind of makes it better. Amen? Like, you just feel like, oh, this is great. Christmas is awesome. And when you're in a good place and things are good and maybe your marriage is kind of okay and you you're, you got some money in the bank and, and you're not going to get fired, you probably got a job, and your kids, they're kind of normal right now. And so you got all these things. And so Christmas just makes it feel better. But if you're on the other side of that coin where things aren't good and things are frustrating and all those things I just mentioned are not in a good place, then Christmas kind of exaggerates that, right? And kind of makes it, makes it feel even worse than it really is. And so what we've been trying to do at our church is kind of shift our focus off what is happening to us and be reminded about what happened for us. That we're going to take our mind off what's happening to us and put our attention to what happened for us and be reminded that what happened at Christmas that if you really understand all its ramifications, like if you really understand what it means, what happened at Christmas, what happened in God sending his son, then it can be wonderful again. That this can be the most wonderful time of the year. Not because of what's happening to you right now, but because of what happened for you then. And so we've been kind of diving into that. 
And you know, what's interesting is the story that we just kind of saw these kids reenact, you know, that, that portion of that story really we only find in two of the four Gospels. The Gospels are these first four books of the New Testament, if you're not familiar with that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they record the life and teachings of Jesus and Jesus' life and, and kind of show who he was and what he did and what he taught and those kinds of things. And, you know, Matthew tells this story and Luke tells this story and Mark just kind of jumps right into the ministry of Jesus. But John is who I want to focus on for a few minutes tonight. Because John doesn't open his book with that story. And it's interesting because the Gospel of John was written by the disciple John. John had a very unique, special relationship with Jesus. And actually, we we believe that John's Gospel was the last one to be penned. That maybe even he wrote this Gospel on his deathbed. And so he had seen a lot, he had watched a lot happen following Jesus' ministry and his crucifixion and his, and his resurrection and his ascension. And for some reason, he waits till he's a man very old in age, probably well into his 90s before he pens his gospel. And he, he has a very specific goal for what he's writing. And he recorded it in John chapter 20, verse 30. First of all, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, as he's finishing this book, he's like, if I wrote down all the cool, amazing stuff that I saw Jesus do, like there wouldn't be enough books in the world to fill it. All these cool stories that you've just read about in my book to you, my letter to you, it's great. But man, there was so much more Jesus did. And he says in verse 31, though, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by by believing, you may have life in his name. So John's John's not messing around. Like, he he has an agenda in this book that he's written called the Gospel of John. This whole purpose of him taking time to write all these things down is because he wants the people to read it to know what he knows and to have what he has. And so when he opens his gospel, he doesn't open with the Christmas narrative. He doesn't open with that story. And what's interesting, too, is John probably would have had the most intimate details of the Christmas narrative of any of the other gospel writers. If you remember, when when Jesus was on the cross, as he's dying, he looks at John and basically says, John, take care of my mom. Like, I'm leaving this world, I'm leaving this planet right now, and I need you to take care of my mom. So it's most likely John took care of Mary until she died. And you know, they were probably sitting around the fire, roasting marshmallows, like, let me tell you about this barn when Jesus was born. And when, I mean, he could have told her, he probably heard that story over and over again around the dinner table. So he would have had details that, that maybe even the other gospel writers didn't even have. Like he could have said, what was it like traveling all the way to Bethlehem and riding on, on a donkey or possibly walking and and what was it like to give birth in the in less than ideal conditions ladies what was all that like but for some reason he doesn't start his gospel like that he starts with a very different approach if you read the gospel of john if you pick up with verse one of chapter one it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In other words, he says, in the beginning was the word. And he's talking about Jesus. That that, that Jesus wasn't just this ordinary man. And his existence didn't begin as a baby in a major. Like he, he is bigger than that and he's more than that and he's existed for eternity. 
and, and the world was kind of built on him and built on his shoulders. And then the next thing he says is very important. In verse 4, he says, in him was life. And I can just imagine, he's, he's sitting there and he's writing this as an old man. In him is, and, and, and he could have chose any word that he wanted to choose. In him is life. And here, as he's an old man, possibly on his deathbed, and he's reflecting on all that Jesus had meant to him and the impact that Jesus had had on his life and all the things that he had seen as he continued to spread the message of Jesus throughout his life, he says, in him was life. Like, that's the only way to describe it, is in Jesus, there's life. Not in his name is Santa Claus. Not in him was a good reason to get together with family. Not in him was a few days off work. In him was life. Like he, I had lived before I met Jesus, but I never really lived until I met Jesus. Like there was life before Jesus, but after Jesus, it was just different. It was real life. In verse 4, it says, in him was life, and that life was, and again, I think he's choosing his words very carefully, because I think, like, he had been kind of plotting this, this book for some time, and he, knew, he, want, he wanted to, I'm just assuming, but he wanted to wait and write it when he could put the right words on paper to have the greatest impact and greatest meaning. And he says, in him was life, and that, that life was the light of all mankind, and see, this would have been a, a big transition for John because John would have grew up in the Jewish community where they were very, they thought it was, Jesus was going to come and establish this new kingdom and it was going to be this political rescue, rescuing the Jewish community, the Jewish nation from rule under Rome. And they thought they were going to be a different kind of a deliverance just for them. And what he's realized is this life, this light is for everybody. No matter how much baggage you have, no matter what your background is, no matter what the color of your skin is, no matter how high your education, no matter how much money is in your bank account, like this life that was offered in Jesus, it was for everybody. Amen, somebody. For everybody that would ever draw a breath on this planet. And then he says this, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And he said, this light shines in the darkness. And John knew darkness. He experienced darkness firsthand. What he's saying is, this life that came into my life, it shined in a really dark place. John lived through maybe the worst time ever to be a believer in Jesus. You know, it started in Acts chapter 8 when when the first time these bad things start happening and Christians begin to get persecuted. And John watched, it's, it's really thought that John was the last of the 12 disciples to die. And he's the only one that, that wasn't killed for his faith, not with like, uh, without trying. The story has it that John was actually pr- prosecuted by the Roman government and thrown into boiling oil, and somehow he survived. Like, he, he was thrown into a pot of boiling oil for the purpose of being killed for his faith, and he came out unscathed. He spent time on this island, ex, for exile from, from everybody that he loved and cared about. He had been through so much stuff because of his faith and for his faith. And now somehow, here is an old man. He sits there and he thinks, I've seen a lot of darkness. 
There's been moments in my life when darkness was trying to overwhelm me. Have you ever been in that place? You ever had a dark moment? You ever had a dark instance? There's been times in your life because of loss or frustration or poor choices or something along the way when it just felt like darkness was caving in around your life. And see, for a lot of you, what's happening this season is darkness is overcoming your life. You're sitting in one of maybe the hardest places you've ever been in your life. I know because so many people connected to our church, we've walked through a lot of hard things this year. This is your first Christmas, not not in a good way, but in a bad way. It's the first Christmas that somebody's not going to be around the table. Somebody's died. Somebody's lost. It's your first Christmas divorced. It's your first Christmas in really, really bad situations. And see, what John somehow has figured out is, despite all these really, really hard, dark, painful things, I watched Peter die. He watched everybody that he loved just about die in an ugly, ugly way. And if anybody had reason to say, the world is dark, Darkness is crushing me. Darkness is overcoming me. What he's saying is, as he opens his gospel, that this man named Jesus was more than a man, and what he came and what he offered was something that somehow has never been extinguished in my life. Because look what he says next. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So he says, not only did the light come, there was moments in my life when life tried to extinguish the light that God put in me. There's been moments where I went through things and my life tried to extinguish the light that Jesus had put in my heart. But he's trying to remind us, church, that the good news is that there's nothing that you can ever face that can extinguish the light that God has for your life. Like no matter how dark it may feel, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how long the tunnel that you're traveling through feels right now, what John is trying to say as an old man about to die, experiencing some of the hardest things that one can experience is, no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how bad it seems, no matter how many things you feel like you've messed up, no matter how deep the grief feels in the moment, that when you really, 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 really know Jesus, he puts something in you that nothing can take away, that nothing can remove from your life. And despite how it feels in the moment, his light can still shine. That's the message of Christmas, church. The message of Christmas is Jesus is life and light who overcomes darkness. That's the message of Christmas. And all throughout the scripture, we're reminded of this, that if we believe in who he is and trust in the sacrifice he made and allow him through the power of the Holy Spirit to take up root in our lives, no matter how dark the world tries to get, we can still live in the light. I love what Paul said in, to the Ephesians church, Ephesians church in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. says, for you were once in darkness. And like, you were once in darkness. There was a time when all of us were in darkness. But now, you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Now, I know there's people in the room, like right now, it feels like the, the light's going out. And maybe as you walk into this season right now, you feel like this is where you are. It just feels so dark. 
because of things that have happened and experiences you've had, it just feels so dark. But I'm reminded at Christmas that Jesus broke through the sky. I'm going to invite you, if you've got a glow stick, would you just grab it and just break it? I want you to hear the sound of those breaks, church. Because that's what Christmas is. It's, it's God breaking through the darkness of this world, entering into it to bring life. And once you break it, just remember that when Jesus came, he shook up the world. He shook up the world. He shook up everything that we ever thought we knew about God and how we relate to him and how we connect to him. And Christmas is a reminder that no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how difficult circumstances seem, that the light can shine. If you believe that and you have one, would you raise it high in the air and be reminded that Jesus is the light of the world and no amount of darkness, no matter how difficult it seems, no matter what you're walking through in the moment that we're here right now, that he can and will come through. Amen. Somebody celebrate who Jesus is and what he came to do in our lives. Trust in him. No, you got to do better than that, church. You got to celebrate it like you mean it, like you know it, like you've experienced it, like you know who he is. Amen. Leave him high in the air. And the only thing required, the only thing you have to do to step out of darkness into this light is to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And if you're here tonight and you feel like it's dark, you feel like it's closing in around you. You feel like, you know what? There's just no way for this season to be wonderful because of what's happening to you right now. Remember that what happened for you was God sent his one and only son so that you may have life. And to experience that life and to step into that light, all you have to do is trust in what he did for you. Acknowledge that this Jesus didn't stay a baby, that he grew up to be a man, and he went to a cross, and he gave up his life to take your penalty, to erase the things that stood between you and God so that you could have a relationship with him. I'm going to kind of go off script right now. In, in your packet, you should also got a little, a little individual communion. If you didn't get one in just a moment, as we continue, as we worship, you can come. There are some available here around the platform in a basket right here at my feet. You can come and take one there. And in just a moment, we're going to worship, and we're just going to lift up his praises. And church, as we worship, and as we sing out to him, would you just allow the reality of what God has done at Christmas in sending his son, would you allow that to really sink deep into your soul? And, it, and whenever you're ready, as we worship over the next few moments, take those elements in all seriousness. The scripture tells us that we take this very serious. That that wafer that's there with you represents the body of our Lord and Savior broken for you so that you could have life. And the juice in that cup represents his blood shed for you so that you could have forgiveness. And maybe if you want to come and take those elements around this altar, just at some point, we're going to worship through a couple of songs. Just make that happen. Maybe you want to pull together as a family and get off to a side or a corner or come together and kneel and just take communion. Again, if you did not get a, a communion, the elements, there are some available here at the front. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to worship and we're going to sing together.
Father, I pray that right now in this moment that we would worship you in spirit and truth and that the people in this room would be reminded of who you are and what you've done like never before. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.